going on, guys? Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. I am your voice for these podcast ads, according to one of our reviewers on our podcast page. Well, let's talk about the folks that make this all possible. These are our good friends from various industries, the folks that make it possible for us to bring you some of the best guests around. The first advertiser I want to mention are good friends over at Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee uh, is kind of like the staple here at Fieldcraft Survival. You're going to see it in pretty much everyone's hands, whether it's freshly brewed or it's the canned stuff that's out there. And now we actually have a coupon code. That coupon code is CRAFT15. That's C-R-A-F-T-1-5. And that'll give you 15% off, um, but it excludes new releases and certain items. So there might be some restrictions that apply, but I would tell you that a lot of the staples that you're going to see in the hands of guys like Kevin Owens, myself, Mike Glover, Austin, uh, not necessarily a dude, but one of our gals, Amber, you're going to see that the t- those types of blends of coffee, those are going to be uh, most likely 15% off with our coupon code CRAFT15. Guys, check it out. You will definitely, definitely be pleased with it. Um, they're one of our very, very good friends, and they're making these podcasts totally possible. So please check them out. Go to their website, www.blackriflecoffee.com. Another sponsor I want to bring up is Casey Highlights. Take a look at any of the builds that we have going on, whether it's our Polaris, whether it is our uh, Land Cruiser with the right-hand drive, you're going to see Casey Highlights on them. Go back to Back to the Future, and you're going to see them on Marty McFly's awesome Toyota Tacoma that he had back in the day. If you go to the website, www.caseyhighlights.com and use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, you're going to get 10% off of your order. At the very minimum, you should have a light bar and maybe some ditch lights. But while you're there, take a look and see all their really, really cool products, including the lanterns and the flashlights that they have. Um, the lanterns are pretty impressive, great runtime. And even if you don't have the super awesome mobility rig, you can definitely use those lanterns in your house for emergencies. They're going to work perfectly fine indoors, just like they work outdoors. Another sponsor, a sponsor that I've been kind of on for the past few weeks because I'm hoping to find a Tri-11 underneath my Christmas tree this year, is Triarch Systems. Now, the folks at Triarch, they've been a longtime friend, probably one of the longest that we've had for this podcast. Good, good friends. They've come to a bunch of our events and they've got some fantastic firearms. They take really, really good firearms and make them better. They do a lot of fancy slide cuts and polishing and fit and finish. I'll tell you, some of our instructors are carrying Triarch pistols. I know Mike loves his Tri-11. Uh, I've handled it a bunch of times, and that's why I kind of want one. Actually, I really want one, and I'm hoping that I'll get one this year. We'll see. Guys, go to their website. It is triarchsystems.com. Use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, and you'll get 5% off of your order. I've said in the past that 5% can be used towards ammo, or maybe you want to reinvest that money uh, with some of our training that we have all around the country. The final sponsor that we have for you before we get going with this podcast are the folks from Hoist. The website is drinkhoist.com. And if you use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT10, you're going to get 10% off of your order. Now, I'm recording these podcasts right across the hall from where our director of marketing, Rob, has a whole case of Hoist. And I think afterwards, I'm going to go yank some for myself. Hoist is really, really good stuff. Um, Here's the thing, like, not enough people 
understand the importance of hydration. Now we're up here in the high desert of Utah and hydration is really, really important. And if you're taking any of our courses that are super physical, you're going to want to hydrate. You're going to want to get your electrolytes back. Now, compared to a lot of the traditional sugary sports drinks that are out there, Hoist has half the sugar. It has twice the electrolytes. Uh, there's no artificial sweeteners. You're not going to get that weird artificial sweetener taste. There's no crazy preservatives or dyes in there. And it's made here in the United States. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be drinking antifreeze from China or any place like that. So please check out Hoist. Again, their website is drinkhoist.com. Use the coupon code FieldCraft10 and you get 10% off of your order. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get to this podcast. Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. My name is Kenny Bozik. I will be your host today. Um, my division here at uh, Fieldcraft is running Fieldcraft Frontier. I'm the manager there and Leathersmith. Um, one of the biggest things we're doing with Fieldcraft Frontier is supporting American-made makers. That is our goal. Um, we also do uh, handmade leather goods in-house here in Heber City, Utah, USA. Um, but that's definitely not where it stops. Um, we want to support American-made makers. Um, and it's going to get progressively better as time goes on. Uh, but for right now, we're starting with podcasting. Um, and the reason for that is we, it allows the makers all across America to be able to tell their story, their passion, and for them to be encouraged by our audience, for them to get support from our audience. Um, so today is the first episode of a series we'll be doing um, for American-made makers. And I'm very honored to have Lucas uh, from Grizzly Forge here um, with me today on the podcast. So welcome, Lucas. Thanks for coming down, man. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, man. So we talked a little bit about your story uh, when I saw you a couple months ago at that show. Yeah. And uh, I've heard about it, you know, over the past couple months, but I'm really excited to hear all about where you came from and how, where, how you got to where you are now. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I you've <laughs> you've done everything from being in the military to be doing private security, and now you're making knives for a living. Yeah, now a full time blacksmith. It's been quite a roller coaster getting here. I've done all sorts of different things in my crazy <laughs> life, but yeah. where it's at right now in the chapter I'm on is making knives. Yeah, wow. Well, so what did you do in the military? Um, when you started there? Uh, when I started, I started with just a regular infantry contract. And then um, about two or three years later, I uh, had the pleasure of going through sniper school. And then the rest of my military career, I was a sniper. Okay. So how many years were you in for? So I was in for just under eight. Um, well, just over eight. Did about six and a half active and then finished the rest out um, in the National Guard and Alerts Unit. Oh, wow. Okay. So when did you when did you get out? So I got out, I think my official ETS date was 2014, if I remember correctly. My brain is absolute gone between like work and many, many concussions. Uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. fun little dates like that. I always mess those yeah. up. It's rough, but if I remember, sign. if I remember correctly, it was around like September, 2014, I think was my ETS date. Okay. Right on. Um, so when you got into the military, did you ever see yourself making blades for a living down the road? I never saw myself making blades for a living till probably six months ago. 
Really? Um, yeah, I just, it never was even on my radar. I've liked knives. I've never been like that hardcore knife guy or it wasn't like a lifelong childhood dream. It was, uh, I was using my GI Bill. Once I got out, quit contracting and found out I was gonna be a dad, I knew that I needed to change my life because I was also bodyguarding at the time. Mm -hmm. This is three years ago. Um, so I knew I wanted to do something different, be there for my kids. I knew if I was going to be a dad, I wanted to be the best version of that I could. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work with my hands. I knew I wanted to have more of that blue collar. I knew the blue collar world. My dad was a master and electrician, master woodworker. Um, everyone I've been surrounded with and family has always been good blue collar. My wife's whole family's blue collar. And I just knew that would fit. I don't work in a cubicle. I can't do things where I'm sitting still. I have to be doing something. If there's a touch of risk to that, it makes it a little bit better because that adds that focus where if I'm not paying attention, I could severely jack myself up. Mm -hmm. Where if it's a mundane, like, you know, you're just doing the exact same shit every single day. I, I, can't, I just can't do that. Yeah. So was using my GI Bill to go to welding school. Absolutely fell in love with welding. Thought it was an absolute blast. Went to a really, really trashy garbage community college in Atlanta for it. But I was really, really lucky to have some good instructors that kind of took me under their wing. And honestly, it's the only reason I even stayed in it. Because while everyone else was not doing what they were supposed to, my instructors would just say, hey, bud, we're just going to stick you in a booth. And I ended up welding almost every day for the entire class. Um, while I was doing that, saw an ad for a blacksmith school in Atlanta called Goat and Hammer, and they were offering classes. It was $120 to take a railroad spike and make a knife out of it. And I was like, fuck, that looks fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been intrigued by blacksmithing, used to go to the old school farms that still ran the way it used to back in the day, would always love to watch the blacksmiths. And I was like, well, let's give it a shot. Went and did it. And man, there's not many things in life that can calm my brain where it just like I get that extreme focus. And blacksmithing was one of them. From the second I swung the hammer for the first time, I was like, man, I really like this. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed. Mark Hopper, he's uh, the one that created Goat and Hammer. And then Jessica Collins is right below him. Um, their teaching style was perfect. I saw there was a little class of maybe 10 of us from all walks of life, from a business guy who was trying to do something fun to a guy who was just trying to do a different date night with his wife. So it was all walks of life. And he was able to instruct every single person the exact way they needed to hear it. And not many people can work well with me. I do better on my own. But when there does come that person or NCO in the military, whatever it is, that knows how to talk to you, that's that changes everything. And I watched that man talk to everyone the way they needed to be talked to. And whew, I fell in love with it. And then I think after that class, I bought the next like four or five months of classes, everything from bracelets to casting necklaces, to making tongs, hammers. I just knew I wanted to do it. So it kind of just became a hobby. And then over time I got into knives and 
family bought them, friends bought them. And then all of a sudden, I'll never forget that first person I didn't know that bought one of my knives. And then it just- I bet that felt amazing. It was wild. And to this day, like I've only been doing it. I've only had Grizzly Forge for two and a half years now. And every day I'm still just blown away. I get the worst anxiety, like every single knife drop, like this is gonna be the one that fails. This is the one that's not gonna sell out. And it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And for me, it's just a wild ride. So no, long version of that question. I I didn't realize I was gonna do this for a living till honestly, right before I moved out here to Utah and moved in with a black rifle. Wow, okay. so. Going back a little bit. So yeah. when you were doing, would you call that bodyguarding or private security? Um, or is, it, is there a difference? I don't, I'm not, I don't like labels. I don't like, it's, just, it's I, I, executive security. Okay. So I was attached to clients. Mm-hmm. My only concern was that client getting okay. from point A to point B safely. So while you were doing that mm-hmm. for a living, you were also trying to figure out how you can stay home with your kids and make a life at home and not being away all the time. Yeah, I think more or less what it was was just trying to find my path after the military. Yeah. Um, leaving that, I joined at such a young age. I joined at 18 and actually joined even before that, but I got mono and wasn't able to uh, go to basic. So mm-hmm. I was in a holdover program till I got better. But for me, it was more just trying to find my place out of the military. Um, leaving was very, very difficult coming back and everyone was doing the same shit that they did the day I left. And I knew that I wanted to do something different. I just didn't know what that was. I think my first two years, I had over 30 jobs and never was fired from one. I just kept moving from place to place to place because I couldn't find anything that felt right. Did you feel like pretty discouraged in that moment or like- Oh, absolutely. Just because, and it wasn't discouraged that I couldn't find anything. It was discouraged that I hated everyone I worked with, Mm. especially in the security world because I took it so seriously and I have a certain way of working that when I saw other people not taking it seriously, it really irritated me. And all the, when I first got out, I tried to go corporate companies. So your really big security companies um, worked for some really well-known bodyguard companies out in LA. And I just despised everyone I worked with. And I didn't work well with others because I'm a bit of a, I go a little crazy when it comes to work. I take it so seriously. I know I've said that a lot already, but it's, if you know me and you've been around me, my wife always joked, like, even when we go out, she's just like, stop working. I just, I, I don't know how not to. Yeah. And when other people don't do that, or let's say you're with a client, uh, you're at a really awesome venue and there's a whole bunch of beautiful girls at the table and all that. I'd see guys like hitting the girls up or sneaking shots here and other there. security and guards. Say, oh yeah. Mm. Like other private security. And it's just, they get sucked up in that world. And for me, all I cared about was my person. And it wasn't until I got into freelance and created a name good enough for myself that I could pick my clients that I really started enjoying it. And that year was about the time I was going between contracting and bodyguarding. And that year was about the time that we found out we were gonna have a child. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this has been a really awesome ride for the last 10 to 13 years between military and working in nightclubs and bodyguarding and just trying to find my way. It was like, what's next? Mm -hmm. And blacksmithing just luckily fell on my lap. Wow. So did you, um, 
or were you gone for a long period of time when you were doing this? Because I know you were working with like some musicians and things like that as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, I just traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. um, would travel to their dates, sports games, stuff like that. So there was a good bit of travel. And a few of my clients, it would just be, hey, we are hopping. Like you literally would be at dinner and they would just get a hair up their ass to be like, yo, let's go to Vegas for three or four weeks. Oh, yeah. And private jet, literally leave dinner, go to the airfield, hop on a jet and take off. And it was just hard it's hard to be in a relationship and do that and at the time i wasn't who i am today i was a very very different person during that time of my life and not for the better mm -hmm. so i didn't really care it was just hey i'm making good money and i can figure everything else out later right um so it's no <clears throat> pretty hard to be stable because i mean I would, I would imagine it would be hard to communicate with your girlfriend or wife or whoever like how do we or when can I expect you to be home when it's like, oh, I'll see you tonight. And then all of a sudden you're gone. Exactly. Or yeah. I don't know when I'm coming home and I don't have time to think about it because all I'm doing is focusing on this person yeah. instead of your life. Mm -hmm. That's pretty incredible that you're here now then. Yeah. No, it, it's a, it's a, it is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, 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 that is wild. So you went to welding school. Now, did you feel that welding helped you a lot in blacksmithing no actually not at all okay. <laughs> everyone everyone always asks like it, there's not a lot to transfer it's nice to be able to fix things in my shop and do certain processes that welding does help with but as like understanding blacksmithing or anything like that now i don't do damascus a lot of guys will weld the, their billets together mm -hmm. when they do damascus okay. i don't do any damascus so i haven't crossed over into that because then welding would help because if you're able to TIG weld your billets, that helps a lot too, because then you're not adding so much outside metal to those billets, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like if you were doing like MIG or something, you're leaving that wire on that billet, which was never there before. Mm -hmm. Where if you're doing TIG or something and you're welding those billets, you're not adding so much extra material. Okay. But I don't do Damascus. So for me personally, no, but what it did do is because I was using my GI bill, our rent and everything was paid for. So it took that stress off and I was in night school. Okay. So I would go to school at night, come home, hang out with my daughter who was very small at the time and my wife was working. So I would then come home, hang out with my daughter and then work in my shop. So she would sit in her little bouncy or walk around the shop and I would just be practicing forging and studying knives and watching YouTube. So I had that time to kind of go all in on it without the stress where a lot of people, they have to work that full-time job. I have a lot of buddies who are making beautiful work, but they have a full-time job and a family, and then they might get eight hours a week to forge, wow. where I got all day every day to practice and study and learn because I was essentially a stay-at-home dad at that time and then going to night school. Mm -hmm. So when you say, I'm, I wasn't a veteran, so when you say, and I'm, I'm sure quite a bit of our uh, listeners aren't either, so when you say GI Bill, um, explain that a little bit. So the GI Bill is just where the military, and I'm going to do a horrible job of this. I'm not the most uh, eloquent of speakers, but the GI Bill, the Army says, hey, thank you so much for serving this X amount of time. We're going to pay for your college. Wow. Um, a lot of people actually join the military to get those benefits, and mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. So 
I found the school I wanted to go or the welding school I wanted to go to that accepted the GI Bill. And because it was only a one-year school, I still have more of my GI Bill left over. And so they pay for your books, pay for you to go to school, and then they pay. And I don't know if it changes by the rank you got out, but I got paid X amount of money a month to live. So 2000 something dollars a month I just got deposited in my bank account while I was in school. And then you get like your book money and all that. And I qualified for a grant in Georgia. So, I mean, I was making good money while going to school. So it took that stress off of like focusing on school, dealing with all this, making money, and then, you know, having to pay rent and all that. And I was a new dad. Dude, that's really cool. Yeah. So the G, I mean, it's an unbelievable thing and I still have, and that'll pay for an entire four year regular college. I just had no want to one, me personally waste that money. And then two, I wanted to use it for a job that I could get out after a year, turn around and make more than someone who just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars for a business degree. Yeah. And then I get out and I can make $27 an hour welding. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So since you said you have some left over, do you foresee going to school for anything else to either further your career that you're in now or do something in addition to that? Honestly, I haven't put too much thought in it right now. I'm just so focused on the business mm -hmm. because it's taken off so fast and I'm a touch overwhelmed right now. Yeah. Uh, just hired my first employee about a month ago. Wow. Okay. And that's been going unbelievable. Because I saw you had an apprentice. <laughs> was he apprenticing first and then? Yeah, he was just kind of hanging around the shop and then he and I had a really good discussion and I was like, man, you've been doing a really good job here. And I'd like to bring you on. He's a young gentleman. He is in the ROTC program um, here to go into the Marine Corps. So okay. sadly, I will lose him in two years. Mm -hmm. But for me, a lot of people are asking why I brought him on because I'm essentially investing all this time in him and then I'm going to lose him. So everything I teach him, especially, I mean, essentially is for nothing. Um, but for me... I see a lot of myself in him of where I was at that age. And I believe that he is going to make a very good officer. Um, and that's something that's really important to me because I was sadly did not have that many officers that were good. I'm not a big fan of that realm of the military. And if I can rub anything off any of my life experience, any of that, and give him any advice to set him up for success, for me, that's worth it. Absolutely. So he actually just started back in school. Uh, school just started up. So working out scheduling and all that, and I'll probably bring on another person to fill those gaps. But I mean, having Hunter has just been absolutely amazing and almost doubled my you know, production because he's dealing with the Kydex, hand sanding, mm -hmm. working on handles, like all the stuff I could teach somebody pretty easily. And I'm still doing the hands-on on the actual, the knife grinding, the forging, all that is still me. And then once I have it all put together, I say, hey, Hunter, you know, let's go ahead and start sanding these handles. I'll do the finish, make these, and he's almost completely taken over my Kydex, which is freed up almost two days a week. Wow. So it's been really good. So yeah. I'm more or less just focused on figuring that part of the business out. Yeah. And what's cool too, while you're talking about that, I was thinking is like, man, you give him a leg up as well when he gets out to have something to do when he's finished. Like this is another option for him to be like, okay, I'm done with this. Now what do I do? It's like, oh, I already learned how to do a bunch of stuff with Lucas, man, maybe I could 
you know. And I think that's one of the things is he actually has a real interest in it. What made me decide to bring him on for real was one day he came in and he had a little bag of wood and these two very crudely made like stock removal knives Mm -hmm. that him and his grandfather had made. And then uh, his grandfather passed away and they weren't able to finish them together. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me. And I thought it was really cool that he had done this with his grandfather and that I would be able to give him the skills to finish them out. And that was kind of that moment where I don't want just a helper. I want someone who's legitimately interested in it. Because for me, I think the reason we're doing so well is because I'm truly passionate about it. Like I put everything into these knives and I want someone who takes it that seriously. And for him, it's been unreal because he's incredibly hard on himself and I can kind of help him with that, but at the same time, it shows he cares. And that's the kind of person I want working with me and, you know, for me. And it's been it's been really good so far. And I'm trying to learn how to be a good boss. Mm-hmm. I've never done this before. Yeah. I've never tried to teach somebody what I do because I don't even really know what I do. I'm still figuring it out. So it's been a really good learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, that's super cool. And, and I think anybody who watches your videos or follows you, like, I think they can see not only your passion through your products, but like just listening to you talk and watching your videos. I know before we even met, I started following you a while ago before I was even at Fieldcraft and just watching your videos and how like real you were and how um, honest you were with your your followers. Like, you don't see, you, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of people who love what they do. And I, I just saw um, an insane amount of passion in your videos. And it encouraged me as a maker too, to, to see that and you being real and honest with, with everybody. Well, I appreciate that. Honestly, more than you know, it's something that I consciously make an effort at. I've been very blessed to be surrounded by a lot of people I looked up to uh, via social media, getting to meet a lot of people that I put essentially on a pedestal in my life years ago. And once I met them in person, I was severely disappointed and let down. Um, They were in horrifically horrible relationships. They treated the people around them badly. Uh, They maybe didn't act the way they did, even down to like, hey, guys. And then you meet them, they're like, yo, what's up, dude? And it's like, (laughs) that's, and I I realize when I take a video, my voice does change a little Uh bit, but it's a complete different persona. And then when you meet them, it's either a complete letdown or a complete letdown. And there's no real win. And I knew probably around, I think I had under a thousand followers when I came to this realization of like, I want people when they meet me to be the exact person I am on my social media. And that's kind of therapeutic at the same time because I'm actually a very private person, especially with my past and my past life because it's been a pretty rocky ride, a pretty rocky, uh, yeah, I said that right, rocky yeah. ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's hard for me to share as much as I do, but something else I noticed is people only share the good, that perfect buck, that beautiful girlfriend, that perfect child. Like they only show the things and not people that, get this. Not that cut in your Achilles tendon. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they only show the things that everyone else looks like and they're like, man, this person's life is so perfect, blah, blah, blah. And I have been very raw and emotional on my social media and it has been fucking hard for me. But the feedback on that and for people to know, oh, shit, this person's real. Like Mm -hmm. they go through the same things. When I show that broken knife, that injury, um, when something doesn't go right, when my wife and I, well, wife now, but we weren't married yet when we separated for an entire year. 
a lot of people just look at it and they go, whoa, what just happened? Like, are they together? Are they not together? Like, it was a conscious decision for us to be like, hey, it's not working. Like, it's not working mm -hmm. and it's okay. This happens a lot. We're going to be adults about it. We're going to separate cordially. Mm -hmm. You can't see my fingers, but it was the little bunny ears. Right. Like, <laughs> cordially. And we're going to do this right. But we shared that and it was a, it's almost like a weight off your chest when you let people know what's going on because then it's not those awkward conversations of, hey, so what's going on with Sydney? Like <laughs> all of that, it's no, yeah. this is my fucking life. And you guys, whether you like it or not, are a part of it if you follow me. Mm -hmm. But through that, you get rid of a lot of the bullshit. And then now, very blessed, I'm back with Sydney and, you know, we're married now and life could not be more perfect. Mm -hmm. But even saying that, we fucking struggle daily. Mm -hmm. And it's just that fight. And so many people only show that beautiful, perfect, filtered life. And it's just not a demographic I was interested in being a part of. Mm -hmm. And I, I attribute a lot of my success to that. There are so many knife makers that have more skill in their pinky finger than I do in my whole body. And especially this last year at Blade Show, Blade Show is the world's biggest knife show and it's hosted in Atlanta, Georgia. It was canceled a year ago because of COVID, but this year was the first year back. Mm -hmm. So everyone was super excited to see each other. But even being there this year, I struggled with a lot of why me? Like I'm looking at knife makers who have put 40, 50 hours into this stunning piece of art that are selling it for less, like half of what I sell my knives for. And it's just because they don't know how to get their stories out there. They, my community is very introverted. And even though I am myself pretty introverted, I don't mind doing stuff like this. I don't mind talking. I don't mind putting myself out there because I failed so many times in my life that I'm just used to it. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I don't know how that sounds, but it's just like, I don't care anymore. I don't mind failing and I don't mind putting myself out there because there's just something better around the corner, as cliche as that is. So I don't know. I've struggled with that. And now using my platform, the people I work with, being affiliated with Black Rifle, being under their umbrella, now for me, it's trying to find those makers that I love that maybe don't know how to do an Instagram live or maybe don't know that, hey, it's okay to share your face on here. Mm -hmm. I would see guys at Blade who run up to me and they're like, Grizzly Forge. And I'm like, uh, you are. And they're like, yeah. oh my God, it's uh, uh, Smith Knives. And I'm like, oh shit, dude, dude, we've been talking for years and I don't know what you look like. <laughs> like I only know your knives. Yeah. And so for me, it's just trying to show those guys like it's okay to be open. It's okay mm. to let the world see you because then you get to build a real relationship with that person. I make beautiful knives and I love my knives and I think they're going to last for generations, but I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that we're Grizzly Forge is doing so well is because people are supporting me. Mm -hmm. They're supporting my family. They're supporting our mission and what we want to do by giving back to other makers. Yeah, these guys are my competition, but in reality, they're not. They're my they're my brotherhood. Like mm -hmm. these are the guys I want to succeed and want to be blessed and be able to do what I do. And the more I can help and give back and highlight them. And I'm working on an amazing project with Black Rifle right now that will be doing that. And that's all I really care about. Like I'm not driven by money or any of that, honestly. Like I never thought I'd 
make a ton of money and I'm making more money than I ever thought I would. We live a very humble life. My truck is where I dump most of my money. And then the rest just goes into nice savings. Truck. I appreciate yeah. it. But even that, like that truck gives me an opportunity to hang out with my kids. Yeah. And that was the whole reason I got into overlanding. I'm not a huge fan of that word, but you know, getting away from everybody, getting as far out in the woods as possible, no cell service. So I am literally forced to have a conversation with my wife, mm -hmm. to hang out with my kids, to play in the creek. So for me, everything that I dump my money back into, for the most part, there's a beneficial thing that comes out of it. And normally it's trying to spend quality time with my family when mm -hmm. I can. That's a really cool outlook. I like that a lot. Um, so you would say that it's going back a little bit. So you would say that it's, uh, easier to be basically someone you're not versus who you are yeah, to the public. Yeah, because who you are, we all hate ourselves. We're mm -hmm. our worst critics. Yeah. You know, I'm super hard on my knives. I, I think there's only three that I truly, truly loved that were perfection. Mm -hmm. My favorite knife I've ever made was actually just in my most recent drop. And I had the hardest time letting it go. But we're our worst critics. And... It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to let, it's hard to set yourself up for criticism. Mm -hmm. But the way I handle that is I don't care. Like what, <laughs> what some person who I've never met, who is probably not living the happiest, my, here's my thing. If you're sitting on Instagram talking shit about everything and talking to people, you're probably not very happy. And I am on my social media now probably less than an hour a day. And I've purposefully done that. I don't check my DMs anymore except check 10 a day and reply to those and that's it. And if you were lucky enough to message me right before I did it, then I probably replied to you. But I didn't ask for any of this. I'm not an influencer. I am not. I am a dude who loves my family, who wanted to make a good, honest living. And I'm very blessed that it's taken off the way it is, but I don't owe anyone anything. Just because I have a following or you see me here or there, that doesn't mean I have to take the time to reply or do this. Like, I don't work for you. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people are focused about that and I see it kill them. Where if you catch me in the street or you see me walking, I will stop instantly and talk to you all the time, but I don't want to be huge. Because the second you get huge, you lose that. Yeah. And it just starts falling apart and you can't have those fun conversations. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, this is Kevin with Fieldcraft. Just interrupting this podcast for a second to bring you another one of our sponsors. And that is Element. That is spelled L-M-N-T. If you guys go to, to the website, which is drinkelement.com forward slash Fieldcraft, you can get a free sample pack. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Now, we always harp on nutrition here. We always harp on getting enough hydration because up here in the high desert, you turn into a raisin very quickly. Element is a drink mix that is really, really taken over here. Uh, everyone in the company loves Element. It's really, really good stuff. And you can get valuable electrolytes back uh, after fasting, after working out, after running and gunning in our gunfighter classes. And if you're doing the keto diet, like I did earlier this year, uh, it helps fight off the keto flu. Now, a lot of folks will take Element first thing in the morning as like kind of like a hydration multiplier. I highly, highly recommend that because it'll make you drink more throughout the day, which in turn will improve your performance. Now, we're not the only ones that believe in the performance that you're going to get out of Element. 
there are a lot of professional athletes around the world uh, in the NBA and the NFL, Olympic team weightlifters. There are three Navy SEAL teams. There are other tactical teams like the Marines, FBI sniper teams, and so many more that are using Element. Now, Element is offering you guys, the Fieldcraft Survival listeners, a special opportunity to try Element for free. Using our link, Element will send you a sample pack that includes eight packets of assorted flavors. All you have to do is pay shipping, which is probably going to be around like five bucks. Don't quote me on that specifically, but probably not going to be more than five bucks. These are small packets that pack a lot of punch. Now, this is totally risk-free. Um, and let's put it this way. You can return Element at any time. Um, and they have a no BS customer service policy. So please check them out. I think if you try Element the way that I've tried Element, you're going to see why so many of us over here at Fieldcraft enjoy using it. All right, guys, back to the podcast. But I think the what you were saying was, is it harder to open up? And it, it definitely is because you're opening yourself up for that criticism. But if you don't care, mm-hmm. it's okay. Now, if you or Mike or Evan or Jared or like someone I looked up to comes out to me, that's a different story. If they come to me and they say, hey, Luke, we see this, we see that, work on this, work on that. I'll stop whatever I'm doing. But you have to look, you have to surround yourself with those people you do care about that aren't scared to criticize you. Because a lot of people don't have much of a backbone nowadays. Mm -hmm. And they'll gladly talk shit behind your back, but they won't tell you to your face. And those are the people that you need in your corner that will have those hard conversations and essentially risk a friendship over to be like, hey, man, like, you good? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Those are the people I care about. People on Instagram, it's, it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's really not. It was such a time suck, right? Like you can spend hours typing stuff out and sending it and they're either going to say nothing or they'll type something small or just some smart ass thing back. It's, it's like, the what's five, the point? I call it the five minute rule now. So I have a rule, especially on my stories. The last two years, as we both know, have been pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of drama going on via the us what's going on now afghanistan like there's so many things going on and everyone has their opinion i have a very heavy opinion on a lot of things and i can get fired up pretty quickly so my rule is i will literally type out everything i want to say get all my fucking little angry words out there and then i set a timer for five minutes buddy of mine told me this and i've done it for about a year now set a timer for five minutes and 99 percent of the time by the time that timer goes off I don't care anymore. And I delete it and I move on with my day. Because the second I go, man, fuck masks and blah, and post all my stuff. Now I'm going to go back. I'm going to check. Did I get a comment? Did someone say something? Oh, what? This person doesn't know what they're talking about. And now I've just started this whole thing. Me saying, fuck masks. What's that going to do? Is it going to change anything? Is anyone going to listen to me? No, they're not. I'm just going to lose multiple hours of my day. And if you're like me, that shit does like it does affect me. I'm not some tough guy who's like, man, I just don't care. I don't think I don't think anyone doesn't care, and if they don't, they're a sociopath. So yeah, it will make my stomach feel weird. I'll get irritated. I'll my brain will start ticking. I'm not gonna work anymore because I'm like, that person doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm gonna go back and argue with this person that I've never met before, mm-hmm. and it's just I don't see a point. Yeah, I I totally get that because. Uh... Yeah, I can't. I'll, I'll admit I've wasted tons of time same. talking to people. <laughs> you're just no, like, same. and there's, there's typically no good outcome. Like I can probably name maybe one conversation I've ever had with somebody on social media about some 
subject where it was controversial and it ended up like having a good conversation and a good outcome. It just doesn't really exist almost in well, that world. You use the right word. It was an actual conversation, mm -hmm. not uh, an aggressive, nothing you say is going to change my mind. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's everyone forcing that this is what I believe. This is my, uh, and it's, uh, I just don't have time for yeah. it. I'm so much happier not dealing with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, people always say I'm this super positive person. It's not that I'm super positive. I'm actually kind of a, uh, I'm a very realist. And a lot of times reality isn't very pleasant, yeah. but I'm just used to it. So it's not that I'm positive. It's just, I try to keep all the negativity out of my life. Yeah. And since I've made a conscious effort of that, then it's just, it's a lot better. I'm sure. I mean, I can say that's, it's a, it's almost addicting sometimes to have that kind of those thoughts going through your head or like being depressed or being like stressed out about all what's going on. It's like almost addicting getting that. I don't know how, if you feel it the same way, but no, a hundred percent. It's uh, it, I can definitely see how it's like, it's a conscious effort. Like you're saying to stop that mindset. So I mean, that, that and it's that's not a lot of hard you, work. And it's not something you can do overnight. Like for me, it was not taking my phone to bed. Mm -hmm. We plug our phones out in the kitchen. Okay. You know, it's little steps that you have to take because it is addicting. Mm -hmm. What we go through, you get those quick endorphins of that, well, they replied or they did this or they did that. And once you get through that, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, one, once you finally put that down and you go a couple weeks, then you realize it just doesn't matter. And then once you get into that rhythm, you just don't care anymore. Yeah. And and, and you let that go. Life just gets better and better when you focus on Derek Wyda said something years ago and it was, uh, I don't give a fuck everything around you. And then all you need is that little circle, that little five foot circle the your arm span and everyone in your little arm span. That's what you give a fuck about mm -hmm. because everything else doesn't matter. It's that little circle. And when you hone in and when you focus, that's when you're going to do your best work. That's when you're going to actually make a difference because you're not worried about all that. Instead of having this 20 minute argument, I'm over here promoting a candle company. Mm. You know, it's just these little things that you could do better by not arguing with a retard who you're not going to get. They're <laughs> not going to hear anything you say. Yeah, it's true. So it's just harness that and put it somewhere else that could be positive and potentially change someone's life. Yeah. So, um, speaking of positivity, how has, how has been in Utah been? Has that been a positive move yeah, for you? Yes. Um, there are certain things about Georgia we still really miss, uh, mainly Waffle House. That's been like <laughs> It's open 24-7, man. Yeah, no, yeah, and there's like two different kind of Waffle House people. There's the 4 a.m., I'm just drunk and want something greasy. And then there's the me and my wife, like I went to Waffle House three or four times a week. It was, I knew everybody, even when I was deployed overseas, my Waffle House sent me like Christmas care packages. So oh, it's like Waffle House is part of like who we are. Do you have like a VIP card there? Yeah, dude, no, it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's your local Waffle House. And yeah. my Waffle House, I can see another Waffle House. And if I ever step foot in that other Waffle House, <laughs> there'd be blood. But no, we definitely miss certain things about Georgia, but the move out here has been so amazing. And we lived right outside of Atlanta and uh, I don't recognize my city anymore. I took a lot of pride in being from Atlanta. Yeah. I've worked in that city for years, especially doing security. You get to know it really well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just not what it was. It is Detroit now. The yeah. violence is 
through the roof. And when was that? Did you notice that happening before COVID started happening, or did everything that's happening? COVID. You had COVID. It, okay. It, and I attribute a lot of it to we didn't shut down, so mm -hmm. I think Atlanta was closed for maybe three months. Mm -hmm. um, us in Florida just went on as business as usual. People wore masks, but we were not hit anywhere near anyone else. And we were one of the, I think we, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure we beat Florida. We were the first ones to open nightclubs up, first ones to get back to business as usual, which brought in a lot of the crowds you don't really want. A ton of out-of-towners were coming in, moving in, because, hey, Atlanta's still good, Atlanta's still good. And mm -hmm. with that, because of our demographic, it got really violent. And I mean, to the point where I would go to work and in the parking garage that we were in, everyone's windows would be rolled down to where you would sterilize your car, take everything out of value. Whenever you park it, if you're within Atlanta city limits, go ahead and roll your windows down because 50% of the time you'll come back with your shit busted in. There's over 400 car break-ins, grand theft autos, um, and uh, I'm missing one break-ins, Grand Theft Auto, and I can't remember what the other one was, um, a week in Atlanta right now, just because it's there's no law and it's just gone completely to shit. So it's better off just rolling all your windows down, unlocking your door and saying, what's good, come check it out, open it up. And if you don't believe me, go check out ATL Scoop, their Instagram, because now the news doesn't even share anything anymore. So we have all these Instagram pages in Atlanta that have massive followings where when you see something, take a video of it real quick, tag it, and then they'll share it. Hmm. So we're not even getting our news from news anymore. We're getting it from Instagram pages. And it's just, I'll show people at work because people don't believe when I tell them how bad it is because you don't see it. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get on there. And I mean, just last week in Atlanta, there was over 60 homicides within city limits. Wow. You know, it's I, my best friend lived in one of the highest, uh, what's the word? Um, most expensive zip codes in Atlanta, mm -hmm. uh, Buckhead. And took, he was on the third story uh, of his apartment. Their windows were facing the street and they took bullet rounds through their windows, just whole family hanging out in the living room and took three stray rounds through. Like it's a war zone. And Where, moving, how far was that from like straight downtown Atlanta? Uh, Buckhead's like right on the outskirts. So Buckhead itself is its own little city. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, really nice. Like mm -hmm. that's where anyone who's anyone lives in Buckhead. And then Atlanta, it is, it's really hard to explain. Atlanta's a very spread out city, mm -hmm. um, but Buckhead used to be the place. And now it's one of the most violent areas in Atlanta. And getting my family, cause it's now leaving the city and it's trickling further and further. The um, Asian massage parlor that got shot up mm -hmm. to one mile from my house. Oh shoot. That we moved from. So, so you, even though you were on the outskirts, you, you saw this starting to directly affect where you were living. Oh, bad. Yeah. So bad. And so when Evan made the call and invited us to move out here and bring my forge out here, I can't put into words, not only for my business, what that did, but for my family, it was really hard for my wife. I can't give her enough credit because for her, it was a much harder move because she left her entire family, all her friends. I don't have any ties besides mm -hmm. like a couple of my really close friends who understand it was easy for me to move. And I've wanted to live out here my entire life, not so much Utah, but out West. Mm -hmm. And so I could never put into words the gratitude I'd feel towards Evan and Matt and Jared and all those guys who made that call 
because what I see in my daughters and my happiness and how much better our lives are, I mean, we'll never, I'll, I'll never move back yeah. down south. I'll be out here for the rest of my life. Well, that's cool. I'm glad it's working out. I, I remember seeing a video um, of you, you were walking out of your, your house and you had like, I think you had your plate carrier and your AR on for something happened on, oh. on your street or something. I was like, what the hell is going on over there? Yeah, well, we, the county that we live next to is the number one sex trafficking county in the U.S., so like my biggest fear in life, especially being a father, is my kids getting napped. Yeah. Like I struggle from pretty extreme anxiety because of that. Mm. I could be a little overbearing in public with my kids just because it happened so fucking fast. And I personally know people that have had their kids nabbed. So that moving from that to what I consider no crime, Utah, it's been unreal. Like I have yet to even be in a part of Utah and even the bad parts that have even made my hair stand up mm -hmm. compared to, I mean, I used to boot cars. I was a car booter for a year. I used to boot cars in the bluff, you know, which is one of the most violent ghettos of Atlanta. So I have seen the worst of the worst in Utah. Come on. Utah, <laughs> there is, there is nothing out here. I, almost to an extreme where I would like my kids to see a bit of diversity. I see. Yeah. Um, that's so, the one thing I kind of struggle with. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like for them to have a little bit of that and get to see a little bit of that. Hopefully we'll get to travel a lot as life goes on. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be sheltered because a lot of my friends out here now, if I brought them home, they would lose their minds. But it's just, it's so much better. I don't have to worry the way I used to worry in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So moving from Atlanta, how did you, you know, you, you were saying Evan invited you out, got you out here in Utah. How did, uh, how did you and Evan link up originally to get to it's this a long point? story. <laughs> uh, I will try. I can ramble. I will try to keep it short. Yeah. So, Cause every, everyone was like, everyone knows you're affiliated with black rifle. And I, I, I've never known either. Like, so how did that, yeah. How did that start? Um, so back when black rifle was first, so let's go further back. Um, I knew who Matt was through Ranger Battalion. And then when he started making all his videos, like the OG videos before Black Rifle existed, I was following Matt. Then Jared came along, jumped in on that. And I was like, man, these dudes are funny as shit. I want to start following them and watching all these videos they're doing because they were spreading like wildfire in the military community at the time. And then at the end of one of their videos, there was this random little commercial for this coffee company that they literally started in Evan Hafer's garage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, that's fucking crazy. This is so cool. It was the second batch ever I purchased one of the bags of coffee from because mm -hmm. I just wanted to support these guys. Yeah. Um, then they started a podcast called Drinking Bros. And when Drinking Bros started, it was a take on you never have to be alone. You never have to drink alone. And they were building and they were so focused on building a community for veterans. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm talking like, hey, guys, you jump on Drinking Bros on Facebook and go, hey, guys, I'm moving on Saturday. Uh, I, I have too much shit. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. If anyone's local to Atlanta, Georgia, I could use help. And you'd have 60 guys show up at your house. Like that's the kind of the community they created at the time. And I just dove all in. <clears throat> I loved the community, started listening to the podcast. Everything was going amazing. And then one of my clients, this is a long story and I'll keep this part short. One of my clients turned out to not be who he was. 
and I invested a lot of money with him. He essentially did the exact same thing Bernie Madoff did. <clears throat> so he created a hedge fund and stole a shit ton of money from a lot of people. Let's say you invest uh, $50,000 on the first of every month, I'm gonna give you a return of 2,500. Such a good return, you keep your money in there, it keeps growing and he just keeps getting investors. Nobody pulls their money out because it's such a good return while he's partying with all that money. Essentially, that's the dumb version of Bernie Madoff. We were in Nashville, Tennessee and got surrounded by 45 federal agents, FBI, whole nine yards. He gets black bagged, rushed away. And you're doing security <clears throat> for him at this yeah, time. Yeah, I was his bodyguard at the time. This is the fast version. Uh, I have the much longer version on free range, <clears throat> but he goes away. I am now in debt over $100,000. Uh, the vehicle, I had literally three weeks before he got arrested, I had invested $70,000 into it. Um, I had worked for him for a really long time, trusted him as a father figure. Um, it was the biggest betrayal I've ever received for my entire life because he truly was a sociopath. I had no idea. I had no way of knowing that. I've never dealt with one. I've never seen one in real life. And like everything all the way down to his name and age was a lie. Holy smokes. That's crazy. So that happens. I'm in a really dark place. Mm -hmm. Lost everything. The vehicle that we had purchased for me to work with because he was helping me start my security company. So we had bought a $75,000 uh suburban got it up armored like all of this stuff and it was all in my name so when he got arrested now i've got this hundred thousand dollar truck i've got seventy five thousand dollars that's gone everything's gone and i owe a lot of it the money that i invested i took out as a loan so it wasn't even my money so now i'm stuck making payments on it so i went from being completely debt free literally debt free to almost two hundred thousand dollars in debt wow and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I wrote a message to Evan, Matt, Rocco, and Jared and was like, hey, guys, literally don't know if you can do anything. I just don't know who to reach out to. I don't have – I'm not close with my family. I got My circle was non-existent, so I had no one except these guys I had never met who made a podcast reached out to him, told him the rough story of what happened, was like, I'm not asking for a handout or anything. I just, I don't, I literally think I just ended it with, I don't know what to do. Literally within minutes, Jared reached out to me and was like, hey man, what's your phone number? Gave him my number, he asked me where I lived and he goes, I'll call you right back, and just hung up. The They had a company at the time, a t-shirt company called Art15, and it was in Woodstock, Georgia, which is where I lived. And he goes, dude, Terminus, where we make our t-shirts is in your town. I've got you a interview tomorrow with them and it's not going to be anything crazy. So you had no idea. Or nothing. And I was like, You're, it's not going to be anything crazy like that, but we can at least get you working until mm -hmm. you get this figured out. I am a loyal person to a fault. When someone does something for me that they didn't need to, I'll never forget that. And once he did that, it was literally for like 15 bucks an hour. And then that's when I started contracting. I had put in all my paperwork, went to Terminus, and then literally I, I only did two shifts there and then got my orders to go contract. 
So it wasn't even like it changed my life or anything, but I knew I wanted to be a part of whatever they were doing and whatever it took, I would support these guys. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think from that day on, I don't think I've not worn a black rifle shirt. <laughs> like if you go back on my Insta, like way back on my Instagram, which I'm cleaning it out because I don't want that many people going that far back. <laughs> um, but if you go way back, that's, you can see when this happened because I bled black rifle after that moment. And I knew I wanted to be a part, but I knew I didn't want to be a barista. I knew I didn't want to be just a normal part. I wanted to be a part and make a difference, but I knew I had to bring something to the table. And I just didn't know what that was. So fast forward, they've created the biggest supporter on the face of the planet. Uh, got everyone hooked on their coffee overseas whole nine yards, would travel, help out anywhere I could whenever I would see someone from Black Rifle around. And then I start making knives. I start making knives in one of the nightclubs that I worked with or one of the bars I worked at in Atlanta. The owner was best friends with Baker Levitt, who was very tied in with Black Rifle Coffee. He introduced me to Baker at a nightclub I was working security at. Baker and I had an awesome conversation, kind of thought I was a fanboy, don't know if he believed everything I was saying, fact-checked me with Jared, actually shot Jared a text, was like, hey, you know this dude? Mm -hmm. And thank God, Jared has the world's greatest memory of any human I've ever met in my life. He's like, fuck yeah, I know exactly who that is. And then Baker was like, dude, no fucking shit. All that really happened? And I was like, yeah, I wasn't making it up. <laughs> and then he was like, dude, let me get a knife. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm talking weeks into making knives. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Busted my ass making Baker this horrible knife. <laughs> Make Baker a knife. And he loved it. He was like, dude, you made this with your hands. This is so rad. Then Lacey, one of our photographers got one. Then my best friend, Brooke Little Bear bought one. And then she's a really awesome, huge wildlife photographer. Started sharing it among her people. And then this kind of snowball effect happened where everyone started getting my knives. And then the drinking bros did a cruise that I went on. And then there got to get some really good one-on-one -on -one time, one-on-one -on -one time with the guys, especially Jared, um, who's I'm really close with. Um, Jared and I just had some really amazing conversations, introduced me to everybody else. And that's when I made Matt the batch of knives for Christmas for him, his dad and his brothers. And then Evan found out. And then it just like turned into this massive, amazing thing where all of these guys that I idolized and looked up to, and I don't want to even say idolize, but I watched what they were doing how they were treating our community, how they were giving back. It wasn't a, we're the best, fuck everyone else. It was, hey, no, let us help you out. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to do that and be a part of that and help as many people as I could because I watched them take the fuck off. Like I was, I watched it from the beginning and I knew that when you build a community around yourself, you're unstoppable. And these people that build businesses where all they care about is money. Yeah, you might be successful, but you're going to be pretty miserable. And all of these guys look so fucking happy and everyone around them was happy. And, and I was seeing this amazing network get built. So I'm blacksmithing, made knives for everyone. Everything's going super cool and awesome. 
And then it wasn't. I was, as becoming a new knife maker, normally you do custom orders mm -hmm. because you don't have a style. You don't have something that people recognize that's yours. So you make whatever people, I made some of the weirdest shit in the beginning. And it's not- Do you have pictures of it still? It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to show me yeah, some. Yeah, <laughs> and I've had to go and re re remove some stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, you do whatever and there's no passion to that. And I started feeling- dragged out like it was a job and mm -hmm. it wasn't fun anymore because I just wasn't enjoying it. And at that time, I couldn't keep up with it. Welding was just finished. So I graduated welding school and I was giving Grizzly Forge the full, you know, the full effort. Let's go all in because I don't believe anything will be successful until you burn those ships. Mm -hmm. You get rid of everything and go all in, no turning back. So I put everything into Grizzly Forge. And it was failing. Two months behind on the mortgage, power got shut off, water got shut off. Shit. And we're done. I go downstairs, I photograph my entire shop to sell all my equipment. And my wife was like, hey, let's just give it one more week. We're so far behind, it doesn't matter. The next bills aren't till here. Even if you made money, you wouldn't get paid for two weeks. So let's just wait. So she was pretty, she was pretty supportive during everything. Yeah. And we weren't even in a good place. Yeah. Like we weren't even good at that time. And mm -hmm. she was still just wait. Oh. And the next day I got a phone call from Evan out of the blue. I think, I think it was the first time we'd ever talked on the phone. And he was like, Hey man, uh, Christmas is coming up. We want to do like a black Friday kind of thing. We want to create like a little bag opener. Do you think you could handle that? Just something to open the coffee bags. Cause this was even before they had the little, the, uh, reseal bags. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, yes, sir. I'll, I'll come up with something. He's like, yeah, just send me over a couple prototypes. We'll go from there. I had those done in about 15 minutes <laughs> and sent him like four different drawings. It was like A, B, C, D. And he went D I want 50. And I was like, do you want to talk? He's like, just tell me how much it is. And I was like, okay. So made that 50 and I'm talking that day. I told him how much that money hit my bank account, turned my power on, turned my water on, and we got one of the mortgage payments covered. Finished that up, killed myself on them because I never made that many of anything. So mm -hmm. had no idea about production, had no idea how to do it. That made sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sucked. My hands, there's a photo if you go way back where they're just taped up because I they were bleeding because they just weren't used to hammering that much. So finish that order, ship it off. Evan goes, dude, fucking love them. Make me 300. Holy shit. And that, that saved my business. And that order and them resharing, reposting, retagging everything created something that I never expected. And all these people are seeing this and because of the community that Black Rifles built being who they are, now their community supporting me mm -hmm. because they say, hey, that's a rad human who's helping us out, check his shit out. So now I'm getting all these orders that's just blowing me away and I'm like, holy fuck, this is, this is gonna work. Just no one knew who I was. Mm -hmm. So now I have all these orders, everything's going good. I finish out all those knives. How long did it take you to do 300? I did it in three weeks. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. So uh, it was a madhouse. Yeah. I had the guy who I was talking about, Jamie Sheeran, he uh, own, does uh, the Hunter Recruitment Project and now is affiliated with Black Rifle. We do a lot of cool stuff together. He was in my garage, like hand tying leather. My best friend was like cutting out all the blanks, Ryan, like everybody was helping out for me to get this order out, get it all boxed up, take it to the uh, post office to ship it. 
one of my buddies hit me up was like, hey man, can you help me move this gun safe this morning? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna go help him move this gun safe. I'm gonna take like five days off, just relax and chill. Went to move that gun safe and that's the thousand pound gun safe that fell on top of me and fractured my spine Holy and shit. broke my back. So the day that life is good, I get to keep my business, we're up on the mortgage, I got a little bit of money in my pocket, the business was doing good, but it was also, I just separated with my my wife now, but we weren't together, we were just dating. Yeah. I just separated with my fiance. I just moved out of the house with my two daughters. I, week three of COVID, so everyone's freaking the fuck out. My wife and I are going back and forth. So this like, is recently, like. This was a year and a half ago, roughly. Wow. So. I think I'm, it might be a little longer than a year and a half, under two years, because I just hit my year anniversary on my back in spring. So about a year and a half. Um, mentally, not in a good place. Who I am as a person, what I believe in, what I'm going through, who I am as a partner, I'm not okay. Before the safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wife, sep Wife and I separate, not handling it well, move out. Don't even have my daughter's bedroom set up. I literally had a mattress on the floor of each one of their rooms and then break my back. So that put me in a really, really, really dark place. And luckily I was forced to get pretty deep in my head because I couldn't move for almost four months. Let me get back on track. Break my back the day after this order. So super excited. Everything's going great. That happens. I feel like I just lost everything again. Um, I think four or five days after I broke my back, my bank account went off for quite a big sum of money. And I was like, what the fuck? And it was from Black Rifle. And I was like, man, they already paid me for that order. So I'm panicking, like shit, uh, they messed up. I don't want them to like, I, I gotta reach out to somebody. So I hit Evan up and I'm like, hey, uh, I already got paid, y'all paid me again. And he was like, no dude, don't worry about it. He goes, that's for our next order. And I was like, what do you mean next order? I just literally just broke my back. I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to work again. And Evan was like, no, you will. So just go ahead and take that money. And then whenever we're ready, there's that's paid for. And when you're ready to go, just go ahead and get us that order. It was for another round of bag openers for the future. And I was like, dude, he was, dude, don't worry about it. Just, there you go, you're good. Just get us the knives whenever you can. Love you, buddy, and hung up. That's the money that, kept me alive essentially for those three and a half months that I couldn't move. And so already that was the investment in the kind of people these guys are because when I was at my lowest and literally had nobody because no one was coming to the house, nobody, I literally where I was on my couch because I could not move. While I was on my couch, we were at a split level house. So you come up the stairs and there's like three steps up top. And then the couch, I had a card table and a sign on the door that said, I have a fractured spine. I don't have COVID. I can't move. Can you please put the food on the table for all the Uber Eats? I think I spent close to like three grand in Uber Eats those first two and a half months just because nobody wanted to be around anybody. This is back when I was like, you know, opening cereal bags because our daughter had asthma and mm -hmm. no one knew what COVID was. So we were like grocery shopping, Lysoling everything on the porch, mm -hmm. you know, taking all the food out of bags, dumping it in sterile bags. Like it's during this time. 
Right. So, and I had been to the hospital. So those first two weeks, no one wanted to get near me because I had just been in a hospital for multiple days. So it was a really weird time. And the only people, the only people that took a huge risk on me at that time was Black Rifle and Evan and those guys. And even in my most dire time of need, they were there for me. And then fast forward, recovered ridiculously fast because I listened to my doctors and did everything I was supposed to get back to work. Everything is going back. And at this time, Evan had already kind of played with the idea of me moving out. At this point, it's to Texas. But when my uh, wife and I had separated, I wasn't going to leave my daughters in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So I, after getting this opportunity that I wanted my whole life, I had to call Evan and say, hey, man, I'm sorry. My wife and I have separated. I need to stay here with my children. And he literally goes, dude, don't worry about it. We can still do stuff if you're not here. Uh, just stay in Georgia, take care of your family. This doesn't hurt anything. You're still our guy. We're gonna do awesome shit. Fast forward me getting my life together and getting better and everything I needed to do. Sydney and I get back together, life's perfect. I think within a week of me posting that we were back together, got another phone call from Evan like, dude, you wanna come to Salt Lake? And I was like, what? And he was like, dude, come to Salt Lake. We have this amazing shop. We'll move you guys out here. Now that the whole family's back together, offer's still on the table, come to Salt Lake. And this is a year after the original offer. Fly out to Salt Lake, do the whole tour, because I didn't think Sydney would ever move. After she saw it, saw the community that's out here and what we would have, she was like, oh, I'm in, let's do it. And I was shocked. I was like, seriously? like." Like, no bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. you have to be all in. She goes, I'm in. Three months later, we packed our entire family up, threw away half of our life because it wouldn't fit into a pod. <laughs> and we moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. And now I'm a part of one of the greatest communities that ever existed. And now get to continue opening that up to you guys, Bert Soren. You know, it's just there's so many amazing groups that are affiliated under this black rifle umbrella yeah and it's probably one of the greatest things that i've ever done in my life and who everyone knows me now because most people only know me from the last two years that's all because of this and it's a pretty amazing thing because who i was before that wasn't the greatest person and who i am now is a completely different person and this is only the beginning wow dude i'm speechless hearing your story that's so many up and downs, like. Jeez, do you really have no idea? I don't. I, <laughs> this like, is the show. Like, like you saw my been, eyes just now. I was like, holy shit, dude. It's been, it's, it's, it's been a lot, man. It's, it's been a ride and I'm very blessed to get out on the other side of it because a lot of people, uh, it's not, I haven't even scratched the surface. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. I mean, if it's, it's, it's all this has happened so quickly. It's like, and you're doing so well already. It's like, what's next? You know what I mean? Like, what is next? I think that's the most exciting thing is I don't really know. I know that I don't want to become a multi-million dollar company. Now, if it happens naturally, super cool, but that's not my goal. Yeah. My goal right now is to stay small, keep doing what I love, keep making quality knives that maybe not everybody can get right away, but when you do, it's gonna be a pretty incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. Work with amazing companies like you guys, uh, Josh Smith at Savage Gentleman, Black Rifle. Um, I'll never forget the people that got me here, ever. 
It's something that I have, <laughs> I have notes on my phone of the names that were there for me when nobody was so that I never forget that. It's something I look at quite often, even in my shop, uh, <clears throat> on my wall, I have this shop of all sorts of random shit up there, but every single one of those things has a meaning for me. And it's everyone that was there for me when nobody else was. And I look at that every single day because I don't want to forget that. And so for me, it's how can I do that for somebody else? Because something as easy as those 50 bag openers changed my life forever. And if I can shout out a product I really love or help somebody out or buy somebody gas so that they can follow their passion that may not be paying a lot of money. That's what I want to do. I want to make this community, if Black Rifle is a tree and all of our businesses are little roots, I've got a pretty thick root coming off that tree right now. And I'm ready for my root to branch off into a billion other little roots mm -hmm. and just add a whole nother layer of security and stability to that main tree and do it off of me and give back to as many other makers, highlight their stories, get their names out, so that if I can help five people a year start a small business, or not even start, but give them that little push, those 50 bag openers, that could change their lives forever. That's, that's my goal, is not so much let's get me filthy rich and do all that, but more or less, let's get a whole bunch of people living their dreams. That's where I'm at right now in this journey. And I hope that the bigger I grow, it will give me a bigger platform to be able to do that kind of shit. Cause that's, you get a high off it. Mm -hmm. Like I legitimately get a high from helping people or somebody hitting me up saying, dude, you literally just sharing that just changed our lives. It took me five seconds to make a video and say, yo, this candle smells good as fuck. Love the packaging, love what these people believe in, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that hard and I meant it. It wasn't getting paid, I wasn't, I buy my shit. Like I'm, I'm not an influencer. I don't get handouts. I'm not getting, hey dude, here's these, here's this. Like, you know, wear them and then we want five posts a month. I'll buy it. That way if I don't like it, I could talk shit on it. And if I do like it, people know I'm, I really love it. I'm not for sale. And, and that, that's what's important to me. So when I do say something or I do highlight a business or highlight a company that's doing really cool stuff, people listen. And I'm not just the guy who has a billion, companies that are telling me what to say, what to post, what to do. And then when you actually buy it, it's garbage. Mm. Like, I just don't believe in that. Yeah. So for me, it's just creating an honest and awesome community. Yeah. I dig that, man. That, what a, what a cool purpose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> I don't is. know if it's a purpose, but it's like, it's what I want to do. Yeah. It's kind of selfish. Like it's my life. Like this is what I want to do. You know, I, I, if I wanted to do other things, I could, or I have opportunities, but this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that what I want to do is help as many awesome people as I can. I don't know. That sounds so fucking conceited. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> hey guys, it's Kevin of Fieldcraft. One more time with one more sponsor before we wrap up this podcast. And that is the good folks over at Headspace. Now our guys use this 
product. Um, Headspace is one of those things that helps you sleep, focus, act, and simply be better. And Headspace can change your life. Um, There are some of us here at the company who have used Headspace, and it really is a game changer in terms of how we think, um, not necessarily what we think, but how. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is go to headspace.com forward slash fieldcraft and use the coupon code headspace.com forward slash fieldcraft, and you'll get a one month free trial. Um, A lot of times you might need a little something that's going to make you feel healthier, happier, and more present in your everyday life. And you guys deserve that. So please check out Headspace. And it's all about the way to think. Uh, I think you guys are going to really find it useful. So check them out. Headspace.com forward slash fieldcraft. It's very encouraging for me to hear this stuff. I I love talking to people um, who aren't just in it for themselves. I I understand you're like, oh, you're hearing yourself. No, but I I love hearing people. I love talking to people who truly want to give back. Like, that's awesome. And I mean, when someone takes the first glance at Black Rifle or they may not know these things. And that's why this is so cool to have these conversations because, man, what an influence Black Rifle had on you. And then now you're going to have an influence on other people. And it's such like a huge like trickle effect. And it's, it's incredible. I love it. And it's just off of leading by example. Yeah. Truly practicing what you preach. And these men have done it from the beginning. And lately they've received a lot of hate and a lot of stuff with the New York Times article. And even me, I was in that article and I received a lot of anger and hate on that. But I take it really, really, really personally because- It's hard not to probably. These men changed my life forever. And they did it not because I do not, let me be very clear, because a lot of people don't know this. I do not work for Black Rifle. I Mm. do not pick up a paycheck. I do not pay rent. I do not anything. Evan's exact words were, you don't belong on the East Coast. You belong with your family. You're our brother. Move your family out here and finally be a part of us and gave me a shop that's just bigger than anything I ever could have expected, helps me with all of these different things, helps me learn my business and for nothing, just because I'm sure, because he is a brilliant businessman, all of them are, I'm sure they understand the loyalty that they're breeding in me and all of that, but it's because they really want to, they want to see everyone in the company thrive mm-hmm. and they they put they put a lot of their blood sweat and tear in that and they get people like me out of it because they changed my life and when people sit here and say they're not americans they don't give a fuck they're just using the right wing to make money and blah 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 like fuck you mm-hmm. because it's not at all who they are and people just want to read an article or read a fucking meme or something like that and go with it. And they just don't take the time. And like I said, it doesn't bother me. Who fucking cares? Because the people that get to know me or the people that listen to this podcast and hear that story, this is this is the real Black Rifle. This is the real Evan and Matt and Jared and Logan and the guys behind this. They didn't need to do this. He didn't need to move my family out here to do this. I'm sure that there are certain aspects of my business that's a liability for Black Rifle and other things like that. It's, you know, they had to find a new place for Wally's shop and all this. Like, it's more of a headache, I'm sure, to bring me out here. But at the end of the day, they wanted to because 
they wanted to and they want to see us succeed. Every day someone new comes into that shop that served with them or they know or another me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're going to find something for you. Not sure yet, but we're going to figure it out. Within a week, they've got something figured out. And now we have a new employee. And it's just, I don't know. I could ramble all day about it, but they are who they are. And, you know, I'll be Black Rifle to the day I die. And it's just, it's an unbelievable privilege to be here. And I just want to make sure that I'm doing my part and making sure it was a good decision on their part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I do want to touch a bit on your actual process a little bit. Um, and making your knives and your shop and stuff like that. Um, just so people can grasp a little bit about sure. what you do um, in your shop all day. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I could probably ask a few questions, I guess. Yeah, to, like, absolutely. Get Please there, but... cut me off if you haven't noticed I can ramble. Um, well, I'm, we... I don't want to talk. I want you to talk, man. This is, I, want, <laughs> I want you to tell your story. Right man. now, we're doing about 10 knives a week. Mm -hmm. um, that's Everyone always asks me how long it takes to do a knife. It's kind of hard because I do them in batches. But right now we're doing about 10 a week and that's working 60-ish hours. Uh, after, so what I do is I do not, and I'll be very clear with this, I do not fully forge my knives. Um, once you get into knife making, there's many, many, many different branches of it. You have a bunch of purists and then it's, we have our own problems within our community. You've got stock removal guys. You have fully forged, brute to forge. You've got guys who say, oh, it's not blacksmithing unless the only thing you do is touch it to the grinder to sharpen it. There's so many aspects of it. Don't care about any of that. Back to not worrying about what other people say. Something my mentor told me that changed my life. On my knives, there is on my knives there is stippling. I have a rough forged look on my knife mm -hmm. because a lot of people are stupid. I will not tell you how I do it. It's pretty obvious if you're somewhat intelligent, but a lot of people don't want to figure it out on their own. This stippling I got made fun of a ton when I went to Blade Show. My first Blade Show ever about three and a half, four years ago. How so? Like what happened? I showed people and I showed a bunch of bladesmiths I looked up to and they knocked it because they called it lazy. I keep a forged finish on my knife. I'm not hand sanding. I'm not doing any of that. To a lot of makers that are very, very good, Master Blacksmiths, mm -hmm. ABS, they would look at that and they would say, uh, you're just being lazy. You should be hand sanding. You should grind that. It's an ugly look. That forged look is really ugly. And so they're being dicks on purpose a little bit. No, no, because like in the community, this would be something that people like. They're not wrong. Uh -huh. Like in the community, it's a look thing. It's a it's a purist mm -hmm. approach on it. I stopped doing that and my knives weren't doing so good. And my mentor looked at one of my reset knives and was like, Dude, and this is two and a half, three years ago. He goes, this is before Grizzly Forge was even an LLC. And he goes, why'd you stop doing that? And I go, well, I just want to be respected in the community. So I'm going to keep trying to get better at actual like doing this this way. And he goes, when has one of those guys ever bought one of your knives? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, why do you even fuck what they're saying? And I go, well, I want to be respected in like the knife community and all these master smiths and everything. And he goes... I and my mentor himself made fun of this. And he goes, Who gives a fuck what we say? Are, are they selling? 
And I go, well, yeah. He goes, do people like it? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, are any of them going to buy one? And I go, well, no, none of them are going to buy one of my knives. He goes, so why change? He goes, even I make fun of it, but it's you. That style is you. Mm -hmm. And ever since we had that conversation, I was like, you know what? Fuck what they say. If they're not the ones, if my knives are still selling and it's my look, I'm going to keep doing it. And I kept doing it and I have perfected my look. And now you could see one of my knives from a mile away and you know it's my knives. And guess what? Three of those guys that were making fun of me, they're doing the same thing now. Holy smokes. And, it's, and, and this is, <laughs> and this is, if you follow me and if you know me personally, I kind of have the opposite of an ego when it comes to my work. But this is the one thing that I hold on to that does motivate me is these guys that were making fun of me and ripping me apart and I was truly going to to ask for advice, I'm out selling them now. And that's the only time you'll hear any words like that come out of my mouth, but it was for me a learning experience. And one of those moments of, they don't have an effect on my life. Mm. And now the guys they look up to call me friend. And it's because they see what I'm bringing to the Blade community. It's not, the style, it's the positivity, the helping each other, the supporting. There used to not be support among blacksmiths and bladesmiths. It was, these are my secrets. I'm not sharing them with anybody. And then around the Forge and Fire area, when it first came out, a lot of smiths like Mareko Mamousi. Mareko Mamousi is one of the leading experts in Damascus. And he was getting shit on by a lot of smiths for sharing how he did it. But to Mareko's credit was, I want to see other guys do this. I want to see these techniques and these styles thrive. And he goes, my knives are selling out. I'm I'm good. Let me give these secrets and let me help this community. And more and more of that's happening. So it's just getting bigger and bigger. And those kind of salty old guys who are like, that's not the way it's done. Mm. You know, they're kind of fading. So all of that to be said, I am not taking a hard like circle piece of stock or a leaf spring and forging every knife. Because again, back to my mentor, that's what I was doing in the beginning, but it was taking me so long. And he goes, why are you doing that? You're just going to do this or do that. He goes, forge that out, grind your tip in, grind your handle, and then move on. He goes, you're making knives now. Now you're, you're, you're want to make a living at it, right? So don't do just four knives a week. Go ahead and cut these tips. And he goes, yeah, if somebody, he said, just don't say your knives are fully forged. Then you're good because mm -hmm. you're being honest with the public. So my process is take bar stock. Uh, I'm about to start water jetting a lot of stuff. So water jetting my tips, but I'll have my knives laid out, the designs I want to do. Then I heat them up and then I forge so that someone who does stock removal can't make my knives. And someone who only forges can't make my knives. What's stock removal? Stock removal is where you take a piece of bar stock and you cut out a knife pattern, heat treat it, grind it. So there's no forging. It never touches a hammer. You're just cutting a knife out of a piece of steel and then heat treating it, putting a bevel, putting a handle. Now you have a knife. No problem with it whatsoever. Tons of uh, half-face blades. My good buddy Andy at Half-Face mm -hmm. Blades, those are technically like stock removal. Water jetted out, handles put on, put it on. It's actually better for the knife. Forging damages steel. So forging a knife, unless you're actually good at heat treating, forging is really bad for steel because steel has these little bitty, again, 
I'm kind of an idiot, so I am paraphrasing. I'm sure there's someone that knows metallurgy and is really good at this, but when you forge the fibers in that steel that actually make it strong, expand. So that's why you quench, temper, do your heat treating cycle, because when you're hitting that steel, you're weakening it. Once your knife is done, forged however you want it, uh, you'll do your um, thermal cycling where I'll take my knife, put it in my oven for 10 minutes, take it out, hang it up to completely air cool. So what that's doing is as it's cooling, it's taking those fibers and bringing them dense again. So that's where your steel is regaining its hardness. I'll do that four to five times depending on my steel. Then I go in, do my full heating, and then I quench. Mm -hmm. That's where you take the knife out, it's red hot, and you stick it in the oil. We're on forge and fire, you have this huge cool fireball. In real life, you don't actually don't want that fireball because it means it's too hot when you pull that out of the oil. Mm. But you quench your knife, which then very quickly tucks in all those fibers and makes your knife hard. I go what people should do, but do that extra step. Then I do two two-hour cycles in an oven, like your normal oven. So depending on the steel, that's what your degrees is going to be. For me, it's normally around like 375 degrees. So then I'll take all my knives, take them home, heat up the entire house because they're in my literal cooking oven, throw all my knives in, they'll do two two-hour cycles after the knives come out. So just the forging and heat treating is an entire day. So just because the taking them in, taking them out, cooling, all that kind of stuff takes a really long time. After that, knives come out, then I do my handles. So I do the fitting, so cut out my wood, epoxy everything. If I'm doing a hidden tang, I'll fit my guard, slide it in the stag, do my leather stack or whatever I'm doing. Epoxy those, let them sit overnight because I use a 24-hour epoxy. Just in my personal opinion, it's a little better. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I do all my fitting. So fit up all my handles, do everything. Oh, actually I have a new process. So after I do the forging, I do my Kydex. So I do a lot of leather hybrid. Mm -hmm. So oh, I will- cool, I've seen those. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was doing only leather when I started, but I'm not the greatest, talking to a leather maker, I'm not the greatest with leather. And one, it took a lot of time. Yeah. And two, a lot of the feedback I was getting, because a lot of my knives, I make bushcraft style knives. Mm -hmm. Hunter, Skinner, Rustic, I want them to get used. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a knife that I knew. What do I want to carry? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of, I get asked all the time, will you make a chef knife? I have never made a chef knife and don't plan to right now just because there are so many guys who that's their thing. They're chefs. They know what they want. They know that grind, that food release. They know that knife. Mm -hmm. I will send you to every amazing chef knife maker I know. Give them business. You want a badass knife that you can, you know, pry something open, skin an animal, you can rely on when you need it, hit me up. Mm -hmm. You want that tactical knife? I got another buddy that does that. So I stay in my realm and I don't chase that money. I'm not joking, had someone recently reach out and offer me an obscene amount of money to make him a chef knife. I don't want to do it. Like I, I just, I don't. I don't feel like I can do it well enough that it would deserve that. Mm. Yeah, I have a name now that people are willing to pay for, but I don't feel like I would do that knife credit. So I'm not gonna do it. Um, so that's how I felt about my leather. My knives were rusting because I use high carbon steel because mm -hmm. your high carbon steel, most uh, 
kitchen cutlery is a stainless because stainless doesn't flash rust. Mm -hmm. um, high carbon steel will hold and harden so much better and it will hold that edge so much longer. But with that, it can rust very quickly. So you actually have to take care of my knife. Uh, it's like owning a cast iron pan. You're spending a good bit of money. So I'm assuming whoever's buying this is going to take care of it like you would an expensive firearm or something like that. All you have to do is keep it dry, don't put it away wet, and occasionally add a light coat of oil. Not that difficult mm -hmm. for spending 500 plus dollars. Um, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to get into Kydex is because I knew that it would be better on moisture, that kind of stuff. Cause something I was missing in my leather, I don't know if there's a way around it, but knives that would, once the leather got wet, it was rusting my knives to shit. Hmm. So I was like, I would rather have that good plastic in there that may not hold the moisture as much as leather, but I wanted to keep that rustic look. That is my mm -hmm. business. You know, what's funny is like everyone on ask me like to make you know i'm sure most makers get like weird requests weird requests and uh people ask me to do holsters and knife sheaths and i love doing leather love yeah. it but i'm like there's just some things that i'm just like you know what i don't really like a leather item for this particular thing like i'm not a huge fan of leather holsters mm. i'm not a huge fan of leather sheaths i like kydex for those things personally so it's like it, people sometimes forget like, oh, like you don't have to do it like everyone else does it. You do it how you think's best for what you're doing. It's like you don't have to do everything like And I else. will. There's certain knives. There's a, actually the knife that I carry mm -hmm. is a bearing made knife. Um, it's got a little bitty leather. For those who can't see, it has a little bitty leather pocket sheath. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like this design. Mm -hmm. And I would like to implement something like this with my mini Skinners. But... For the rest of my knives, I just thought Kydex would work better and be mm -hmm. better. So I did that, but I also want to stay as far away from the tactical industry as humanly mm -hmm. possible. I want nothing to do with it. It's oversaturated and nobody hates veterans more than veterans. And the tactical industry is even worse than that. It's just, that is a savage industry. And everyone's like, oh, well, it's gotta be this way. And you gotta be some super high speed Kung Fu master to make tactical knives. Mm -hmm. So I don't want any of my stuff to even be remotely considered tactical. Mm -hmm. Cause I just don't want to deal with that demographic. But what's cool about the hybrid thing you've got is um, people complain about when you have a Kydex sheath that, you know, if you're hunting or something and the brush hits it, it's too loud or something. And I'm like, well, there you go. It solves the problem. You put it on the outside, it looks awesome, and you still get the, you still get the that tension of that the, the good kydex. tight pop and everything. Mm -hmm. And still, I was able to keep my little rustic look. And I change. If you follow me, I change my designs quite often because mm -hmm. I'm trying to find the best way to approach it. So we do our kydex, finish that out, hand sand all the knives, um, and then final thing I do is the final sharpen, polish. Uh, treat the blade, oil it, um, and then normally three knives out of every batch I'll put through pretty rigorous little test. Um, I'll either hit antler, chop through a two by four, do my sharpening. Um, I'm not, not sharpening, what am I saying? Um, I'll go through my edge retention, make sure all that's holding up really well after the chop, cut through paper, make sure it still shaves. Just a quick little test to make sure that batch was good. Everything feels good, sturdy, nothing's breaking. I used to test every single knife. Now I'll just randomly pick like three out of the batch, do it with them, 
make sure everything's good, clean the blade back up in case I scuffed it, scratched it, mm -hmm. you know, picked up any little marks. I wanted yeah. to go to its home perfect. Yeah, for sure. Clean those three blades back up. And then we post them. I normally start teasing my drops online. Right now we're doing about two drops a month. Um, trying to get more on the site without losing the quality because I'm very blessed to be in the position where they sell out almost instantly. And I would like, I've got multiple people that'll message me saying that they've been, it's their seventh, eighth, ninth drop that they've missed out on and stuff. And you know, that bums me out. I'd like to get someone a knife, but when I hear that and I hear, wait, you've tried seven times, man, that's a good feeling. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> For one, sure. I don't really know how to accept, but it's pretty rad that people want to support it that much and want one of these knives. Mm -hmm. um, so that's essentially the whole process. We do absolutely everything in house. The only thing I don't do is I don't stabilize my wood. Um, I get all my wood from uh, Iron Man or Arizona Ironwood. Um, unbelievable family business. They do all sorts of stabilization, some really cool dyed burls, like a lot of Man, I don't even really know how to describe it. Their website's unreal. What's stabilization? Stabilization is like uh, a lot of woods aren't completely hardwood. And again, I don't do it and it's not my realm. I just know the basics. So you want your wood to be stabilized and hard because if there's moisture, stabilization, if I under understand correctly, is removing all the moisture out of that wood. Some woods don't need it. Like African blackwood is such a hard wood that you there's no moisture in it. So that wood isn't gonna flex or anything like that. So if you, if I were to put a regular piece of wood that wasn't stabilized on one of my knives, within six months, that wood will either split, crack, shrink. It changes because that moisture in there has got those air pockets. Mm. As you move to different locations, altitudes, whatever, that's gonna change and that wood's gonna move. So stabilization is where you're putting it in a pressure pot and you are sucking out all of that moisture so that it is turning that maybe softer wood where moisture can get into it. It is now densifying it and turning it into a hard wood. Again, probably didn't do the greatest job explaining that, but that's my understanding. I got it. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't know what it was. So of, all of my woods I buy are stabilized because mm -hmm. you want stabilized wood on your handles. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I don't do is that because that is a whole new learning curve. Yeah. And some guys do do that. They stabilize all their own wood. But normal, normally for the most part, knife makers, we all have our one or two wood dealers because mm -hmm. it is an unbelievably lucrative business if you're good at it mm. and you have a good access to a good supply of wood. Are there uh, certain woods that you can't stabilize? I wouldn't know, honestly. Um, that would be a question for someone yeah. who's in the biz, but um, I, I don't know why. I'm pretty sure you could stabilize just about everything. For instance, Tori at Gunstone Creation, when we did that collab blade mm -hmm. for Black Rifle Coffee, uh, he does a lot of resin, which I'm about to start learning how to do, but he does all the resin laying and you have to stabilize everything that goes into that resin can't have moisture or it'll create bubbles. Mm -hmm. So as that resin hardens, it sucks all that moisture out and you get all these little air bubbles. So he literally had to learn.
learn how to stabilize coffee beans. So all of the Black Rifle coffee beans that are in that resin handle of that knife, he individually stabilized all those coffee beans and sucked all the moisture and everything out of them to make them super dense so that when he laid the resin, there were no bubbles coming out of them once that resin hardened. Holy shit. So to my knowledge, I think you can stabilize just about anything. Might be full of shit, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Wow. All righty. That's quite the process. Yeah, it it's is. Like, it's like every little process has its own process. Ser- no, seriously. Yeah. And there's there's not a I mean, heat treating, there are so many unbelievable makers that will do all their knives and then they send them off to professional heat treaters. Mm-hmm. I'm very blessed to have had an amazing mentor who beat that into my head how to heat treat. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys send a lot of their stuff out. You know, for me, instead of sitting here and cutting out a lot of patterns, I'm gonna start getting a lot of stuff water jetted. Mm-hmm. I'll still have my more forge blades, but they'll all still look the same. But now instead of sitting at the grinder and grinding my tips in, they'll already be pre-ground. So then mm-hmm. I can take that pattern that I like, throw it in the forge and then forge it out to the final shape that I like from there. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So are you going to keep doing drops, you think? Or do you think at some point you might do like send some stuff to dealers or how do you how do you think about so that dealers side? i do not ever see myself doing that mm-hmm. um the only people that i have made knives for will be you guys coming up i'm doing a batch for field craft for mike and then um black rifle for the bag openers mm-hmm. we will probably continue doing little things like that for black friday mm-hmm. um and then josh over at savage gentleman uh he was the savage gentleman was the first business even before black rifle to notice me and give me a chance. They ordered 10 of my original Kodiaks way back in the day. And that little boost from their company mm-hmm. was huge for me. And it was the first time a business noticed me and was like, man, you're doing some good stuff. We want to support you. And that gave me so much confidence and such a boost in morale. And then through that, Josh has become an unbelievable friend and has been able to help me and especially in the early days mentor me on starting a newer business because this is like i said before first time i ever went to black rifle was to see josh because they used to be at the salt lake location here in utah that's where savage gentlemen used to get run out of okay um so i'm actually doing a batch on my table right now i'm doing a batch for josh but honestly that's just because of what they did for me i lose where I'm at now, I lose so much money doing those mm-hmm. because I'm not a massive, I, I don't have production. Yeah. I'm not pumping out 100, 200 knives a month. Mm-hmm. If I was doing that, I would love to. But then if I'm doing that, they're not Grizzly Forge Blades anymore. Yeah. And I'm not going to go away from that. I do not foresee myself going away from that. If anything, if anything, I might have more of a production knife that stays forever in the future. I've considered designing more of like a smaller EDC knife that could get manufactured. And then that would always be on my website. Mm-hmm. But my knives, Grizzly Forge knives, they will never be mass produced. I respect that. That's cool. So you'll have, yeah, you'll have the little guy that's always there, always available if need be. But then you'll have your more higher, like, I don't know if you'd call it higher end. It's not like the other one wouldn't be higher end, but something that's No, it's more, just my knife. Yeah, it's, it's just, just something it's that just, you put your hands on, you did yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know? I don't want to be Benchmade. I don't want to be one of these big companies that you walk around and there's a million people wearing your knife. Like, I want that Winkler style. Mm-hmm. I want that 
knife that's coveted and when someone has it, it means something to them. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of shit I like. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite companies, Warm and Fuzzy, you know, he'll do these little, it's an apparel company and he'll do these drops of like a hoodie or a patch or something. And there's only 50, 60, 70 of them and they're gone. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll be camping that website like crazy trying to snag that. And once I have it, it's like, yeah, you like that? Ha, it's mine. <laughs> and it's that that's that fun feeling of having something that nobody else has. And for me, I'm attracted to that. I like that. Um, another company that I love from the beginning is Flag Nor Fail, Rob and Dana Lynn Bailey's company. When Rob and Dana started their company and they started Flag Nor Fail, it was, they did this drop, it was called Under 100. And they would do a hoodie or a shirt or something along those lines. And there would only be 100 and every size. And when you place that order and you got your shirt on the back of your tag, there would be a number one through a hundred. Mm -hmm. And once that was gone, it never came back. And what was so cool about that is when you saw somebody wearing it or you were wearing it, you could keep track of when they started supporting you or or it, it, it's hard. So when you know somebody has it, you know they were camping that website, you know they were on it. And it creates almost that, I hate to say it, but almost that culty thing of like, oh yeah, you too, dude, mm -hmm. me, dude, I was on that website. I couldn't believe I got it. Mm -hmm. And when you do, it's the greatest feeling, but it also weeds out that Amazon person. Yeah. That person who wants it tomorrow. That's, oh my God, I love what you're doing. Ew, why are they priced so high? Or, mm -hmm. oh God, you have never have anything on the website. Well, instantly you're not my demographic. So yeah. thank you so much for the kind words, but maybe I'm not the best knife maker for you. And I would rather those guys who are willing to wait, but once they do have it, it's something they're truly going to cherish. Because the things that I have that I had to wait or work for, I take way better care of. I have way more pride in it because if you buy it on Amazon, you're not worried about breaking it because you'll just turn around and buy another one. Mm -hmm. You get one of my knives. Nothing makes me happier when someone sends a knife back to like, I just had one of my biggest clients. Um, he sent me all of his original knives because it was back when I was only doing leather. And he was like, dude, I have to have the new Kydex. So he sent them back and they looked amazing. He's had them for over two years and I was blown away. And I was like, dude, Brent, like these look so good. And he was, well, duh. Like I take great care of them. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> these are, I had to wait forever to get these. And I was like, Damn, dude, that means so fucking much to me to get those knives back and just see them. They had patina. They had this cool look to them because he's used them and I knew he used them. But it, it felt great as a maker to see that someone took care of it, mm -hmm. where if it's something you can just get anytime you want, you kind of lose that. Yeah. And and I like I like having those things that I take a lot of pride in. Yeah. And that's what I want to create. Right on. I, uh, so when, when someone wants to buy a knife from you and you're doing these drops, is it the main way they find out about it through your Instagram or do you post it on your website as well? So we've, when the started, next drop is? So we've started an email list. We're not great at it yet. Okay. Um, I'm not something that is to my downfall is I'm a touch of a perfectionist when it comes to my business. So if it's not perfect, I don't do it. And that's, even down to what you guys do and like something Mike said a long time ago on a podcast was like, even if your rig is not exactly the way you want, just go, mm -hmm. go have fun. It doesn't, doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all your shit on it. You have enough to get out there. Yeah. And for me, I have a hard time doing things I'm not super happy with, 
but we've created an email list. You can sign up at grizzlyforge.com mm-hmm. or thegrizzlyforge.com because Grizzly Forge is taken. Um, Bastards. The, I know, and I've even <laughs> wrote them trying to get it back and just no reply. It's no website. It's just the domain's gone. I hate um, that. But thegrizzlyforge.com, we do have an email list, and we are getting better at sending a massive blast mm-hmm. on that, especially in society right now because I am considered a deadly weapons manufacturer. <laughs> so I've had a couple weird warnings from Instagram, like I can't can't swipe up to my website. I can't do anything that looks like a knife sale on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. I take the risk occasionally, but I've already had two warnings. So it's like, try not to do that. So we're trying to get better at the email list. That way, if my Instagram does get shut down, we have a way to reach out to all of our yeah. clients and everyone and let them know when there's a drop. But yeah, leading up, if you watch my Instagram, I share on my stories and in my posts when the knife drop's going to happen. Um, and try that's to just do it. at Gri- Grizzly Forge. Yep, thegrizzlyforge.com. And then my Instagram is grizzly underscore forge.com. Okay. Gotcha. And so all the knife drops I announce on there. And then you should, if you're signed up for the subscription, I know everyone says this, but I'm too lazy and honestly don't have the time to blast you with anything else. But we only send an email out. It's normally, hey guys, knife drop on Friday. And then I'll give a sneak peek of all the knives. Mm-hmm. I'll tease my favorites leaning up to it. Or a lot of times I won't even show the one I'm in love with. I'll just show like some of the smaller ones in my Instagram feed. And then you get surprised when you get to the website. But if you're on the email, every single knife that's going to be in the drop will be in that email. Hmm. That's what we're trying to get better at. Right on. That's cool, man. Um, Man, thank you so much for sharing your story, your process, everything. Like I only heard a little, little, like I said, little bits and pieces. So hearing your entire story about your ups, your downs, like it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It really is. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us and, uh, getting a better perspective on, uh, why you're so passionate and where you've come from to get to where you are now. Um, and the people who have helped you along the way is pretty awesome. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. And y'all are those people. So Thanks for what you do for small businesses like me and what y'all are going to continue doing with this podcast. It's a pretty amazing opportunity to use the huge platform that, you know, Fieldcraft Survival and Mike and you and everyone here has. So I'm truly appreciative as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, if uh, if you didn't catch it, it's thegrizzlyforge.com. Yep. Um, on Instagram, it's grizzly underscore forge. Um I got that right, yeah. Yep. Okay. No cool. <laughs> Facebook, no, in, no uh, Twitter, no, none of that. Only Instagram. Yeah, that's better anyway. Let's be real. It is seriously. <laughs> Facebook sucks. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not on Facebook in about six years now, dude. So. It's terrible. Um, well, thanks for being the first guest on this show. Like I said at the beginning, uh, we're going to be doing uh, different podcasts with different makers to tell their stories, and uh, Lucas was the very first one um, for this series. So, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if uh, you haven't already, please go follow Fieldcraft Frontier um, to keep up on what we're going to be doing with other makers and within uh, our own shop as well. So thank you guys for listening. We appreciate your support. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. Ooh.